Welcome to The Savvy Sauce, where we have practical chats for intentional living. I'm your host, Laura Duggar, and I'm so glad you're here. Today's message is not intended for little ears. We'll be discussing some adult themes, and I want you to be aware before you listen to this message. I am thrilled to introduce you to our sponsor, Windshape Marriage. Their weekend retreats will strengthen your marriage, and you will enjoy this gorgeous setting, delicious food, and quality time with your spouse. To find out more, visit them online at windshapemarriage.org. That's W-I-N-S-H-A-P-E marriage.org. Thanks for your sponsorship. Francie Winslow joined us on the Savvy Sauce twice in 2021, and both her episodes were wildly popular. We are going to release part one today and part two tomorrow as the fourth most downloaded episodes from 2021. Today, Francie's going to share God's vision for sex. She skillfully articulates the benefits of coming together, and she teaches us how the physical act represents a greater spiritual truth. Here's our chat. Welcome to the Savvy Sauce, Francie. Thank you. It's such a blessing to be with you today. I'm so excited to chat with you, but first, will you just tell us about who you are and what you do? Absolutely. You know, we were actually just talking before you hit record about the fact that I am not a therapist. I'm not a counselor. I am, um, my heart is really to be an intimacy evangelist because I have encountered intimacy with God and I've realized the power of intimacy within a marriage under his good design and his good plan. And I've realized that both are just precious gifts. And one is for this lifetime on earth and one is for eternity in, in addition to this lifetime. And both are just incredible gifts worth talking about, worth exploring, worth digging into. And so that is my heart. On top of that, I am a mom of six. And so my husband and I have six kiddos here that we're raising in Northern Virginia, just outside of DC. And in uh, my extra windows of time, I just find myself overflowing with a passion to communicate God's heart for intimacy, both with him and within marriage and an integrated view of our bodies and this theology behind our bodies and our sexuality has just kind of come as an overflow of what God has been speaking to me and teaching me over the years. And so this is kind of what our life looks like. We'll do some podcasting and some writing and mostly just a lot of loving my family and normal things in normal life. And I love getting that real-time snapshot. But if you take us back a little while, how did you come to know Jesus and surrender your life to him? You know, I think it was the kindness of God. He revealed his love to me when I was a really little girl. And I was raised in a Christian family, and we had a um, just kind of a small town community that I was blessed enough to be raised in. But it was even more than going to church all the time. It was how he was meeting me uh, with his love in the little small moments of my day in my bedroom, playing with my toys. I would just sense that God loves me a lot. And it it caused me to just continue to open my heart to him and continue to seek him. And um, I ended up being very moved by uh, pictures and videos I saw of the poor when I was a really little girl. And I told my mom, I've got to be a missionary. Who's going to go to them? And so I, I got the opportunity to see God work not only in my heart, but I started traveling all over the world on mission trips starting when I was in about eighth grade. And it changed my life so much because I realized that God was not only real in my little bedroom, but he was moving all over the world in powerful ways and just kind of set the tone for my heart to hunger for him 
for not only myself and knowing that he blesses me, but that he is on a worldwide mission to restore and renew all of his creation and that he's invited me to be a small part of it. And so it's kind of this intimacy worked out from the secret place and rippling out into a vision for what he wants to do on the earth to bring it all back to him. And so it's a it's been a journey many, many years, but I've realized that the more I love him and the more love I receive from him, the more I want him and the more he gives of himself. And it's this incredible love exchange that's just kept getting sweeter over time. And what is he currently teaching you about theology of our bodies? And how did you even develop your own personal theology on that topic? Well, you know, it goes back a bit because um, the theology of our bodies is very, it sounds kind of lofty and kind of ivory tower, but it really is about the fact that Jesus came in a body and he lived in a body because he wanted to show us the way to be fully human and what it is to be in communion with God and with each other right here, right now in very tangible ways. And what that looked like for me was getting married really young. So I got married when I was about 20 and um, I was at Wheaton College and met my husband and we got married young and, and ended up going on the mission field for a little while. But during those really young years, I the only thing I had to work with was the idea of don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And while that worked for me in high school and I realized like boundaries are good and they're for my good, I didn't have a theology of sexuality or a theology of my body or theology of sex to apply to a godly marriage. And so it was a real big jump for me to go from don't do it, don't do it to you can do it. And how do I switch my thinking on that? And the journey that that drew me into was one of inner healing and one of understanding the shame that I had been carrying in my body and that God wanted to meet me there and that my body and things going on with my body, including my gender and my sexuality, were not unrelated to my spiritual life, if that makes sense. I think for too long it had been kind of like your spiritual life is all over here and then sex or the body or gender is a whole nother conversation that we don't really need to get into. And God was in beginning to reintegrate them in my early years, in our early years of marriage, just renewing my thinking and reclaiming that territory with really his rewriting of the narrative that he made sex, he made it good, he made it for our good, that it relates to the bigger gospel story. But um, it began our first year of marriage because it really forced my hand. It, it brought to the surface, we have to talk about this because I can't keep moving forward with this separated way of living and thinking that, you know, God is over here and all the other stuff is kind of in a different compartment. And in that journey, I'm just thinking of the newlywed who is listening right now. Was this something that started just you and God for that first year? Or were you also communicating with your husband as you journeyed to this inner healing? Yeah, it was both. Um, it definitely started with me. I remember specifically sitting on the apartment floor. Um, I had like multiple Bible translations out in front of me, just searching God's word. How do I love this man? <laughs> oh, Lord, here I am. How do I love this man? You know, we're so different. And you have all the whoosh of good feelings, all that dopamine when you're dating. And then you get married and you realize that it's not as easy as it looked in engagement. And it, issues come up and wounds come up and shame comes up or um, barriers come up. And we really realized that we had to learn how to fight for each other rather than fighting each other. And for me, it started with this prayer of how do I love this man? And God led me to Philippians 2, which um, I actually have open right in front of me at the moment. Philippians 2, and where Paul's talking to the church. If any of you want to be like-minded or have the same love, be of one accord and one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. 
and look out for each other's interest, not only for your own. And what God was really showing me was that I long for that oneness of mind, that oneness of heart, that unity. So how do I do it? And so it, it, it started this conversation of us really trying to honor each other's needs before our own. And I knew that sex was a big need for him. And uh, I was still trying to wrap my mind around it, but it caused me to be willing to be more available and to say yes more often, because I knew that that was a place that was a felt need for him. What I learned later is that sex is not a man's need and a woman's duty at all. Although that was probably informing me at some level back then. What I learned by saying yes to God's design and finding healing is that sex is a marriage's gift that draws us into deeper intimacy, deeper revelation of God, the God story written on our bodies and the gospel story written on marriage, and also propels us into greater fruitfulness. But the beginning stages were definitely me seeking God. How do I love this man? Realizing that one key is right there in Philippians 2, understanding what humble love looks like, and then having those conversations of doing that together. That's the ideal. We talk a lot about our pink inner healing couch because the first year of our marriage, we had very wise pastors who said, it looks like you guys might need some inner healing because <laughs> Jesus came to heal our bodies, but he also came to heal our hearts, right? And we all have disordered affections and places where we're expecting things from other people that cannot be provided except through God. And so we had to figure out what lies were we believing and where were we placing expectations on each other that we should really be looking to God to fill. And where did maybe family of origin things start to hinder our connection and, and keep us from connecting more intimately and more honestly? And we would sit on that couch when one of us would get shut down or one of us would get hurt and we would just invite the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, we are so messed up. We're hurting each other. Will you help us? Will you come into this moment and will you heal us? Will you show us what lies we're believing or where we have become disconnected from you or for, from each other? And through one or two honest prayers, God would bring something to mind and make it more clear how we could take a next step towards oneness and a next step towards healing. And then where that Philippians 2 passage comes in, it was like we were honoring each other in the living room on the couch seeking God. And then God was like, now come and be one heart, one mind, one body in the bedroom. And it was almost like he was healing us in our hearts. And then he was healing us in our bodies by reframing sex for us, that it's not this fleshy man's need. It is a place for marital unity and intimacy and oneness that can solidify in the physical what we just did in the spiritual on the couch. And that set the tone for our first year of marriage, which I look back and think, what a grace, what a supernatural grace, because in our brokenness, we very easily were heading towards a lot of wounding, but God intervened and he taught us a way of leaning into him and leaning into each other that produced amazing fruit. And what the fruit was, was the more sex we had, the more prayer we did, the more one we felt, the more grace we had, the more unity we had, the more joy and lightheartedness we had. And then we were also propelled into being able to love other people outside of our home better because we were loving each other better at home. Oh, that is so power packed with so many truths. And just one more follow-up as it relates to the theology of body how do you believe our bodies speak and communicate even when we're not using words? Mm. Okay, so uh, just to clarify, I did not create Theology of the Body. It was um, really coined by a man named Pope John Paul II. And from 1979 to 1984, he gave about 129 sermons that are all unpacking this idea that our bodies are a physical revelation of invisible truths. 
And that I find evidence of that throughout the entire Bible. And that's what Pope John Paul II, he went from Revelation, from Genesis to Revelation, unpacking this truth that God reveals himself through creation, primarily as the crown of his creation, our bodies and the gift of marriage and the marriage union and the analogy of marriage. And if you see kind of through the Bible, if you think about God started with the union of a man and a woman and throughout the Old Testament, he's pursuing Israel like a bridegroom would pursue a bride. He's calling them his bride. He's saying, I'm your husband in Isaiah. And in Hosea, we see him give the instruction for Hosea to pursue a wayward woman, just like God pursues us because he wants to show and present his heart for union and for this marital, intimate love that lasts forever. And then we obviously know that Jesus came and calls himself a bridegroom, that the church is his bride. And in Revelation, we see that there will be a wedding. And so there's this huge Genesis to Revelation revelation that somehow is easy to miss when we're just caught up in conflict management or contracts and kind of seeing it from an earthly earthly point of view. When we see it from a biblical point of view, we see there is a theology here in marriage, in sexuality, and in our bodies. And one of my favorite quotes from Pope John Paul II says, the body, in fact, and only the body is capable of making visible what is invisible the spiritual and the divine. And we see in Romans 1 where it talks about how God, we have no excuse because basically through all that God has created, he has revealed himself. And so in the beginning, God took his very nature and stamped it on the body of a man and a woman, calling them very good so that we could see glimpses of what he's like in maleness, in femaleness, and especially in the union of those two becoming one. And the result of that is this incredible fruitfulness. So there's so much theology that is worth digging into, worth being in awe of, worth giving uh, some thought to, because it brings back the goodness and the rightness and the holiness to this conversation that the world has tried to hijack. But when you're talking about what does this look like in real life, the reality that our bodies speak, they're constantly made to reveal something. One of the things that I talk to my kids about on a very non-sexual, regular level is our bodies are constantly speaking. They're meant to be places of God revelation. If your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, it's made to be a place where people see God. And our bodies are basically walking encounters. And so people can see God in the kindness of your eyes and in the gentleness of your, you know, a little back pat, if your friend's having a hard time, you can give them a pat on the back or we can bring cookies to our lonely neighbor with our hands, make them with our hands. And all of those ways, our bodies are revealing the love and the tenderness and the compassion of God. In the marriage bed, if you want to take it a deeper level, when two become one, that's what the marriage promise is, is that I will be one with you forever. And so when two bodies become one, it's as if they're telling a bigger story and saying, I recommit myself to you. I love you. If you roll your eyes conversely at your spouse or give them the cold shoulder, your body is speaking. I'm ignoring you. I don't care about you. I'm shut down. But when you lean in with your body, your words can say, I'm here with you. But when you lean in with your body and you choose connection through sexual intimacy, your body is speaking something beautiful and powerful, which is, I'm here. I do. I want to continue to lean into you. I want to be one with you. I want to celebrate our connection. I want to go deeper. And so in everything we do, because God God made us physical, we are constantly communicating. And I think that's one thing that I've learned is that our bodies are powerful communicators. And what is it that my body is communicating to my spouse right now? Am I communicating that I care, that I'm present? 
uh, that I want to pursue more depth with him? Or am I communicating, hey, I'm distracted. I'm on my phone all day. I'm, you know, ignoring you. I'm not making eye contact with you. Those things are also communicating. So I think it's a fascinating look to look practically in our everyday interactions. And then also sexually, our bodies have the ability to communicate powerfully. And that is uh, one of the things that I think has blessed our marriage is to realize how powerful of an opportunity that is to communicate love. I think that you lay out a great foundation and really have given us a vision for God's view and his vision for sex. Is there anything else specific that the Lord has taught you, Francie, about sexual intimacy within marriage? I think I probably brought into it um, just a lot of shame and a lot of kind of a difficulty being comfortable in my own skin and feeling confident as a wife. And I think part of that is because of my more conservative background and being maybe a little bit more on the modest side and wanting to walk in freedom with the Lord and my expression of love to him and wanting to walk in freedom with my husband and my expression of love to him. And I think that's been one of the beautiful gifts that I've realized is that marriage is an incredible journey. And one of the things my mentor, Julie Slattery, talks about is that sex is not a destination. It's a journey. And we get to continue to learn. And I think that uh, one of the things that's been comforting to me is that I I didn't need to know everything that I, I know now on our first year of marriage. And what I know now is even a sliver of what I'll know 50 years from now. And I can rejoice in that. And I can rejoice in the fact that I always have room to grow as a lover, as a wife, that it's holy to grow our sex life, that it's an adventure to learn different ways of expressing love together, and that it's an invitation to more intimacy together that actually leads to fruitfulness outside of the bedroom as well. And seeing that it's all an invitation and not a should, and that it's an opportunity to build something that not only benefits our marriage, but ripples out to impact the culture of our home and ripples out to even our way that we love and serve the world in our careers and our churches and our communities. It just makes me love God's design and it makes me love the way he created it. And it makes me want to say more yeses to God and more yeses to my marriage because I'm constantly discovering how good it is and how good he was to give us this gift. Let's take a quick break to hear a message from our sponsor. I'm so excited to share today's sponsor, Windshape Marriage, with you. Windshape Marriage is a fantastic ministry that helps couples prepare, strengthen, and if needed, even save their marriage. Windshape Marriage is grounded on the belief that the strongest marriages are the ones that are nurtured, even if it seems like things are going smoothly. That way, they'll be stronger if they do hit a bump along their marital journey. Through their weekend retreats, Windshape Marriage invites couples to enjoy time away to simply focus on each other. These weekend retreats are hosted within the beautiful refuge of Windshape Retreat, perched in the mountains of Rome, Georgia, which is just a short drive from Atlanta, Birmingham, and Chattanooga. While you and your spouse are there, you'll be well-fed, well-nurtured, and well-cared for. During your time away in this beautiful place, you and your spouse will learn from expert speakers and explore topics related to intimacy, overcoming challenges, improving communication, and so much more. I've stayed on site at Windshape before, and I can attest to their generosity, food, and content. You will be so grateful you went. To find an experience that's right for you and your spouse, head to their website, windshapemarriage.org. That's W-I-N-S-H-A-P-E marriage.org. Thanks for your sponsorship. Jesus transforms us from the inside out. And in the same way, you teach 
what happens in the secret place inside of our marriage overflows to the rest of our lives, and it can benefit our relationships, our parenting, careers, and even the community at large. Will you elaborate on that idea? Totally. Yeah, I was just kind of alluding to that a little bit. I've called it the ripple effect of sex because I think another lie is that sex is just about sex and you just got to do it and get it done and make your husband happy or, you know, trying to get a baby, uh, trying to conceive or it's kind of like this separated part of our life that is just related to either pleasure or procreation. And what I realized is that in the beginning, the first great commission was given to a husband and a wife. God created them, delighted them, blew the breath of life into them and celebrated their connection by blessing them and telling them, be one, be fruitful, multiply and take dominion together. And it's that dominion is a place of serving the earth, serving the world, bringing the glory of God into all that he has given us to care for. And I feel like that is a powerful vision for marriage. And that's one that we've realized the more intimate we are with God and the more intimate we are with each other in this secret place, the more capacity we have to overflow with life. And I'll just say on a practical level, I'll say when Wyatt has a work meeting or when I have a deadline and we are disconnected in our marriage, it it feels really hard to be supportive of each other, to be behind each other, to cover each other when there's gaps or weakness. And it just begins to be this grind. There's a lot of conflict. There's a lot of difficulty, a lot of misses, a lot of pain. When we, on the converse side, when we have intimacy, when we're pursuing regular connection and going deeper together... There is an overflow of grace and there's an overflow of abundant love for each other that impacts the way we parent together. Maybe one of our kids is struggling and when Wyatt and I have prioritized oneness and intimacy and we are connected and we're feeling like we're on the same page, then we're able to parent on the same page and we're able to support each other and back each other up. And then it ripples outside of our home because not only is the atmosphere of our home more peaceful when we are unified and connected We're able to go to work with more confidence and with more support from each other, which enables us to do better work and to serve people better and enables us to say yes to the ways that God's calling us to serve the church. And ultimately, the whole culture is impacted by the health of the secret place of marriage, because when marriages are strong and they're thriving and families are thriving, the culture thrives. But when marriages are struggling and our view of sex is warped and there's pain there, families struggle and the culture struggles. And so it is this powerful ripple out impact that I had no idea sex uh, was related to, but isn't that God's good design? And it is a mirror or a small picture of the bigger intimacy. So you were talking about our intimacy with Jesus. I can't do any good works apart from unity with Jesus. I don't have any good fruit outside of my prayer closet unless I am one with Jesus, unless I am connected to him. He is my source. He is the lover of my soul. He is the the source of all goodness from me. And so the deeper intimacy I have with Jesus, the more fruit I have outside of my little walk with him and outside of my prayer closet and outside of my times with him. But if my intimacy with him is dry and brittle and empty, I don't have much to give outside. So I just have loved the parallels of those and how true they are. You sum that up so well because there are some huge truths that you're unpacking. And I've been spending a lot of time in the book of John recently. And so you're talking about being connected to the vine and we can do nothing outside of him. But then also this secret place, this inside out transformation that starts in marriage and flows out. That is so biblical to see 
the fruitfulness that comes because fruitfulness, another word for that is multiplication. And you've taught before that multiplication flows through our families. And so I just really appreciate that perspective. That's so good. Thank you. How do you believe that sex in marriage is a way to fight against Satan and his darkness? Mm. Well, I do know that Satan is incredibly jealous of image bearers. And he hates the fact that in the very beginning, before the world was even created, he wanted to be like God. He wanted to be equal to God. And and he chose that rebellion and got thrown out of the courts of heaven. And as a result, has had this enmity and this hate for the image bearers of God who God said he made in his likeness. Not that we're equal with God, but that we reflect the goodness of God on this earth he gave us to steward. And so the enemy is constantly trying to destroy and dismantle the image bearing qualities that we carry and also disengage us from understanding them and seeing them. And so for one, I think just knowing that sex is a gift that bears God's image, it's two becoming one in a way that is so intimate and good that it produces fruitfulness. And we just covered how that shows a mirror picture of our walk with Jesus, that when we are one with Jesus, our lives become fruitful. But there's also a power of male and female that the enemy hates, and he wants to dismantle our confidence in what is male and what is female. And he wants to discourage us and detach us from the connection with our bodies that God called good because there's a significance to being male and there's a significance to being female independent of marriage just as image bearers that we see something beautiful about God in a father and we see something beautiful about God in a mother and even in the physiological nature of a mother nursing what that reveals about God is that he's tender because if all of us images him we can see God revelation within even the anatomy and the physiology of a male and a female body and God loves that and the enemy hates that and so I think when we celebrate our our maleness, our femaleness, and then the coming together of two to become one, we really do a good number on enemy's plans. And we really push back a lot of that confusion by celebrating the good design of God and by celebrating it with our kids and honoring it and always in truth and love, giving glory to God for the good ways he made us, the good ways that help us thrive, the good ways that reveal what he's like. And I will say that in terms of specific marriage, the enemy wants to bring disunity he wants to bring division and he wants to separate what God meant to be one. And so leaning in in times of discouragement, in times of depression, even in times where we have been struggling with deep grief and trauma within our family because of many factors, we found that sex is a powerful weapon. I'll even say just really short, I have a, a long story about this, but we were trying to, to discern whether or not it was time for us to adopt. And and there was a real division happening within our marriage. I actually was super afraid and, and didn't want to do it and felt like my plate was too much. And it was just clear that the enemy was bringing a ton of division on what was supposed to be a good thing. And so one night we went on a date and realized we were super disconnected and really coming at each other from a bad angle. And so we chose to have sex before the date. Because we know that sex is not just about pleasure or procreation. It's about saying, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. I am one with you. 
And so we did it before our date thinking, okay, that's just a little side tip. Sex before dates often make better dates. But um, before that tense date, we had sex because we realized that sex is also a weapon against disunity. It's a weapon against division. And it's a way that we can fight for unity, which brings the blessing of God. And so we went on our date. We actually got more disconnected because things were just really deeply deeply rooted in where we were coming from. And so we came home and we had sex again because we were putting a stake in the ground saying, though we are disagreeing, though we're struggling through something, we're not going to let it divide us. We're going to continue in the spirit of unity while we work this out. And I think that was a pretty profound moment for us to say sex is about so many things. And one of the things it is also is a stake in the ground for unity where the enemy might be trying to tear us apart. There is an exciting project taking place behind the scenes right now, and I would love to invite you to participate. I will give you more details as I'm able, but for now, here's my request. Will you email me your personal story of a specific way God has clearly shown up in your life? Big or small, I want to hear an account of the way He made Himself known to you and maybe received credit for an answered prayer or a way he worked out a situation in a miraculous way, or how he displayed his power in your life. There's no limit to the type of story to submit, as long as it's true. So please email me your story at this email address, info at thesavvysauce.com. I can't wait to read your story. Thanks for sharing. And on the other side then, how is sexual intimacy within marriage one way to sow to the spirit? Yeah, well, you know, I think the spirit is about unity and he's about fruitfulness and he's about oneness. And so when we celebrate it from a place of honoring God's design, we see an abundance of more of the fruit of the spirit in our marriage because we're honoring his design and we're inviting him into it to lead us. And we're not perfect. We haven't figured it all out, but we're saying, God, we're sniffing out something good here and we want you to be a part of it. We want to know you more into it. And I, I will say that after when we prioritize intimacy, We have more, we call them God thoughts afterwards. I often end up writing after we have sex because I feel like there is something, there's a lot of brain chemicals that are being released throughout the brain that are really profound for bonding and attachment and clarity of thought and reduction of stress and all these cool things that God designed. But they also, intimacy has also just launched us into this capacity to partner with the Holy Spirit outside of our bedroom. And so I just see it as a way to celebrate God's good design, as a way to lean into to intimacy together, and also as a gift that propels us to partner with the Holy Spirit, not only in our marriage, but outside of our marriage too. And I would love for you to speak to the spouse who may be listening, and maybe they're already tired and they're feeling like this is just one more thing to add to my to-do list for the day. What would be your encouragement to reframe that thought into reasons why prioritizing sex with our spouse is so vitally important, even when we don't feel like it right in the moment? Oh, I totally, totally get that. As I mentioned, I have six kids and I'm exhausted most of the time. I will say that we enjoyed the idea of sex drives early in our marriage where it was he had a big drive and it was there was passion. And I'm not saying there's not passion now, but there's a different passion because we've been married almost 16 years and it's more the reality of we're both tired. 
But we realize the gift that God has given us in sex. And so we prioritize it from a different way. And um, I will say that we have both come many nights to the bedroom and say, oh, we're so tired. We just want to flop into bed. But we want connection. So let's switch gears. And that's one of the things that has been helpful language for me. Instead of just telling my husband, oh, I'm just way too tired or, oh, I have a headache or I don't want anybody else touching me. I've been clung to all day by little babies or I've been working hard. Instead of straight up just switching out into the no category, I just use this phrase, hey, I really want to connect with you. Give me a minute to switch gears because it's just a different gear. It's not an impossibility. I just need to switch gears and I need to have a different frame of thinking because I've just been doing, you know, six bedtimes or laundry or cleaning up the kitchen and I'm not in the intimacy mindset, but I can get there. And so I often go to my bathroom and I've just developed this little conversation with the Lord when I'm really tired and just say, okay, Lord, here I am. Give me your strength because I want to choose connection. And I know now that sex is not about the temporary moment of pleasure. It's about building a marriage of oneness and connection. And so just like I might not really feel like working out because I'm really tired, I know that it's good for me and it's a healthy choice for me. And so on those tired days, sometimes that's what gets me to say yes. And I always am glad I do it and I never regret it. And you get that chemical brainwash of, oxytocin and dopamine and vasopressin. And it's a gift. It is a gift, but sometimes it's harder to get there on some days than others. But I, I do resonate with that tired mom. Um, but I also have found that leaning in, we just, we talk about that word a lot too. Just lean in when you're tempted to lean out, lean in. Maybe if you're both so exhausted, it just looks like a really nice intimate cuddle or maybe, you know, a different kind of connection. But generally speaking, having sex when you don't feel like it can still be great sex. It just has to be an extra intentional step to get there. And I think that's a very mature response because that's when it becomes decision sex rather than drive sex. But the desire can come after that decision is made and that decision for unity. And Francie, I know you and I share such a similar heart of encouragement for marriages. I've noticed that we both want Christian couples to join together more regularly and more freely as they get to experience all of God's good gifts offered within marriage. And a huge part of where this begins is in our minds. Mm -hmm. So I would love for you now to give us a few positive messages to replace the negative lies we've previously bought into about sex. Mm. Yeah, I think the big thing for me is that sex is not about sex. It's about connection and choosing connection. And when we choose to lean in, we realize that it's much richer than a transactional exchange. And when we practice curiosity, God, how did you make our bodies? How did you make this gift of sex? We want more. We realize that there is so much more than the silence of the church and so much more than the perversion of the world. There is this holy other option that is good and that can be adventurous. It can be deeply meaningful when we look at it in a different light. And I think thinking, okay, sex is not about this act. It's not a man's need, a woman's duty. It's a marriage's gift. And I want to know more about that gift. I want to find out more about how God, what God was dreaming about when he designed it, when he imparted us with these desires, when he actually made our bodies to fit together like puzzle pieces. There's something wonderful about that. I also really love the idea of choosing, like you said, the decision over the drive. I think that is really beautiful. Sometimes women feel a little annoyed, two ways, either annoyed by their husband's drive, like, oh, he wants me all the time. 
re-seeing that. I had a, a woman who's been married 33 years reach out to me. It was so precious. She's in her gray hair years. And she said, Francie, I listened to your podcast. And now I realize that when my husband says, hey, babe, it's late. I know, but I really want to have sex with you. Instead of being annoyed by him, I hear him say, he desires me. He wants connection with me. And that's his way of reaching out. And so she started celebrating it more, less as a burden, but seeing his drive as an invitation to connection. The other side is that a lot of women will tell me, hey, I have a higher drive than my husband. And I think in what whoever has the higher drive, learning that it's not about drive and echoing you again, it's about decision. It's about connection and knowing that if you do have the higher drive, you can be playful and you can initiate and you can celebrate that. But drives do one thing. They drive us together. And that's worth celebrating. And drives come and go and drives change with the season and the hormones and the amount of kids or whatever stage you're in. But just knowing that there's a bigger picture at play and that it's worth leaning into and worth choosing connection for. Oh, those are good truths. And I just also want to highlight one other that I've heard you share in your podcast before. You've posed the question, do we really want exhaustion to dominate our marriage and our lives? And you went on just to encourage that that heaven on earth connection is possible when we trust God's design over our current emotions or exhaustion. Yeah, well summarized. I think that's true. I think our our exhaustion and our emotions are fleeting, but God's design is eternal. And he imprinted his design on this this gift of marriage to show us something bigger. And so when we're ruled and and tossed by our present emotions, we miss out on the bigger eternal picture that's being revealed through the gift of married sex. Well, and I always appreciate having a safe place to recommend people to go after this conversation so that they can get further educated about sex within a biblical worldview. And I think you do such an incredible job of that. So would you like to share where you could direct listeners to learn more from you? Absolutely. I have a podcast called The Heaven in Your Home Podcast. With that being the prayer that we would encounter God, his presence, his rule and reign, his kingdom of heaven in every room of our home, reordering our hearts and our desires so that we see his good gifts on sex, marriage and his mission through it all. And so the podcast is a great place. I would start closer to the beginning of the podcast, episode one, two. You hear a bit of my story, my background, and then I, I really build on these ideas that I have gleaned and learned and experienced. And I would just be so honored to have any listeners join me there. And this summer, actually in June, I'm launching a discipleship circle, a heaven in your home discipleship circle. So if anybody wants to take the content and really go deeper and have a little bit more access to me through Q&A and a few other deeper resources, you're welcome to join me there as well. That information is on my website, francywinslow.com. Wonderful. We will make sure it's easily accessible in our show notes today. And you know we're called the Savvy Sauce because savvy is synonymous with practical knowledge or discernment. And so as my final question for you, Francie, what is your Savvy Sauce? Okay, this is going to be just a fun tip. So in our season of complete exhaustion, just to be real, six little kids, we have found that significant and quality sexual connection is really hard. And so we might have a few touch points throughout the week, but we have really realized the fun gift of half day rates at the local hotel, <laughs> whatever that is, you can find cheaper rates on hotwire.com or Priceline and finding the cheapest rate we can at a hotel. And instead of spending money on dinner and a movie, 
we spend money on a hotel room and we'll go from like 4 p.m. to 10 p.m. and have a time where we're intimate together. We could take a nap. We could watch a movie. We could have conversation and it's like a reboot. So that's my little tip. My savvy sauce is don't overlook the potential for a marriage getaway right in your little town or your city that costs almost as much as dinner and a movie. And it could really be a great marriage reboot for your intimacy. We do it pretty regularly. And so that's been a a really sweet tip that I'd love to pass on. I love it. You are the first one on the Savvy Sauce to respond that way. That is so clever. And Francie, there is just such an obvious and apparent anointing from the Lord on this message and what he's been teaching you. And I'm so grateful that you've compacted what you've learned in 16 years and offered it to all of us. It has been such a gift to spend time with you today. And I would love to invite you back next week as well. Awesome. Well, I look forward to joining you. Thank you so much. What a gift. One more thing before you go. Have you heard the term gospel before? It simply means good news, and I want to share the best news with you. But it starts with the bad news. Every single one of us were born sinners, and God is perfect and holy, so he cannot be in the presence of sin. Therefore, we're separated from him. This means there's absolutely no chance we can make it to heaven on our own. So for you and for me, it means we deserve death and we can never pay back the sacrifice we owe to be saved. We need a savior. But God loved us so much, he made a way for his only son to willingly die in our place as the perfect substitute. This gives us hope of life forever in right relationship with him. That is good news. Jesus lived the perfect life we could never live and died in our place for our sin. This was God's plan to make a way to reconcile with us so that God can look at us and see Jesus. We can be covered and justified through the work Jesus finished if we choose to receive what he has done for us. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to take our place. I pray someone today, right now, is touched and chooses to turn their life over to you. Will you clearly guide them and help them take their next step in faith to declare you as Lord of their life? We trust you to work and change the lives now for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you are declaring him for me, so me for him you get the opportunity to live your life for him. At this podcast, we are called Savvy for a reason. We want to give you practical tools to implement the knowledge you have learned. So you're ready to get started? First, tell someone. Say it out loud. Get a Bible. The first day I made this decision, my parents took me to Barnes & Noble to get the Quest NIV Bible, and I love it. Start by reading the book of John. Get connected locally which basically means just tell someone who is part of the church in your community that you made a decision to follow Christ. I'm assuming they will be thrilled to talk with you about further steps, such as going to church and getting connected to other believers to encourage you. We want to celebrate with you too, so feel free to leave a comment for us if you made a decision for Christ. We also have show notes included where you can read scripture that describes this process. Finally, be encouraged. Luke 15.10 says, 
In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The heavens are praising with you for your decision today. If you've already received this good news, I pray that you have someone else to share it with today. You are loved, and I look forward to meeting you here next time.